Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the topics of interest to media marketing and advertising. Today I'm in New York City and having a conversation with Dr. Augustine Fu, who is the ad fraud investigator from a marketing sciences consulting group. Welcome, Augustine. Thank or should you. I call you Doctor? Uh, doctor is great, but uh, yeah, thank you very much. Glad to glad to be here with you. Look, uh, the ad fraud investigator, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that say they measure ad fraud. What's the difference between measuring ad fraud and investigating ad fraud? Very simply, it's technology plus a methodology. Okay. So you first of all need the technology to collect the data, but you also need to know how to look at the data, uh, basically where to look and what to look for, um, because the bad guys are very good at tricking measurement so they're now able to perfectly uh, make a bot look perfectly like a human. In fact, they even spoof uh, mouse movement, page scrolling, and clicks. So unless you know how to tell it apart from a real human's activity on a web page or using a mobile app, it's very hard to detect it using technology alone. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the fraud detection technology companies is that they try to do that. They try to build in the algorithms to look for anomalies. But um, in what I do is the investigation part is you look at the data and you interpret it and you look for other things that the technology may not be able to catch. Because mm. the, the thing about the crime of fraud, mm-hmm. just generally, not about ad fraud in particular, but the crime of fraud, the most successful fraudsters are the ones that were never detected, aren't they? Correct, right. The, the, um, it's the amateur bad guy that goes out and uses a stolen credit card to buy TV. Yeah, they're going to get caught, right? And that credit card is going to get turned off the next day. But the more sophisticated ones are basically already in the system. They're making money and they're able to stay hidden. And the longer they can stay hidden, the more money they can make. So the the more advanced uh, cyber criminal uh, committing this kind of fraud uh, will try to stay hidden as as long as possible. So it's their first job to kind of hide and avoid detection or trick detection to make it look like everything's fine. Yeah, because if people don't need know that they're being uh, defrauded yeah. of their hard-earned they'll money, be very happy to keep they'll just keep going. And in fact, haven't we seen that? We've seen investments into online advertising in all its forms yes. continuing to increase, even though the conversation around ad fraud is, uh, yes. is continuing. Because they're willing to um, suspend disbelief, right? <laughs> they're, they're willing to believe that everything's going great. And the way I, I see it, again, as a digital marketer of 23 years, um, this is my industry. And I'm very sad that it's actually not the digital marketing that it could be. Mm. And so the, way, the reason I say that is, as more and more of these dollars shift in from other channels like TV, print, and any kind of offline channel, in the US, uh, we've surpassed 100 billion, right? I think we're on track to hit 120 billion in digital ad spending this year. Worldwide, it's approaching $350 billion in uh, digital ad spending. So that is a bucket of money that gets renewed every single year, right? Mm. It's not just a finite bucket, right? It gets renewed every single year. 
And because the fraud can be committed from the comfort of the bad guy's home, right? Literally in front of their computer now. Yeah. Um, it's actually far easier to do. Far more people are doing it. And because of the dollar amounts, you can imagine that organized crime is getting in on it as well. Well, and and that for me was the really concerning thing. You know, I know it's very difficult to put a dollar value on the size because the size of the pool keeps expanding, and not just in any. You know, we talk about digital marketing, but uh, there's all different channels. You know, there's display advertising. Even amongst display, you've got private markets versus open, um, uh, real time bidding, and, and the the sort. But the the statement, and and I'd be interested in your view on this, that this is uh, globally only second to like illicit drugs and very close to human trafficking, which are two terrible crimes against humanity. And it's up there with those types of crimes. Yeah, I think the last time I looked at some of the numbers um, about a year ago is that digital ad fraud is already bigger than both of those. Wow. The, the reason for that is, again, it's, it's annually, um, you know, uh, replenished by the big advertisers' budgets. And the bad guys are basically, uh, it's kind of like counterfeit goods, right? So, you know, if you have a counterfeit handbag, you have to actually sell it and you have to have tourists, you know, visit Canal Street here in New York City to, to go buy those counterfeit handbags. Or Shenzhen in China or For example, parts right. of Hong Kong. or yeah. But in digital, um, there's not even these physical constraints of the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. They can actually generate pretty much countless, unlimited ad impressions. And so what the bad guys are doing is that they're creating the exact thing that you want to buy. So when big brand marketers want to buy more reach and frequency in the form of more ad impressions, they'll just go generate as many ad impressions as you want to buy, right? So we've seen data where there's just not enough humans spending much more time on their devices looking at that many more web pages to generate that many more impressions. That is all plateaued, right? And I published some recent data from Pew Internet, right, which tracked humans' usage of the internet, mobile, and social over 20 years. And pretty much since the years of 2013 or so, all of those lines have plateaued. But yet digital ad spend continues to skyrocket. Right, so how is almost that possible? Exp yeah, almost exponentially as well. Correct, right, the hockey stick yeah. right, um, that a lot of VCs love to see. It's not supported by humans' usage of the internet and social. Mm. So when the bad guys are creating these things, right, it's kind of like counterfeit products, the display ads, if, if that's the stuff that uh, marketers want to buy, they'll generate more display ads. If the clicks are what the search marketers want to buy, they'll generate more clicks. Do you right. think part of this is the fact that it is largely hidden and is in some ways, you know, people would say it's a victimless crime because the only people that are wasting their money are the major advertisers, but we all end up paying for it. That, that's, uh, that's a very common argument. So say, oh, well, it's the big companies that are losing the money. So if they don't care about losing millions of dollars to ad fraud, why should you, right? I think the government does take um, that approach. In fact, law enforcement does as well, because I'll tell you, ad fraud is not illegal. And that's because the laws have simply not caught up. Right? Mm -hmm. So there is no law against ad fraud, um, but that doesn't mean it's not fraud. Right? Mm -hmm. So just like counterfeit goods, you need to interpret these laws or the counterfeit goods laws to apply to digital ads. Or there might be other things like securities fraud. Right? So when you have a lot of fake accounts, 
that are inflating your DAUs and MAUs, right, mm-hmm. that get reported by all these public companies, that could amount to securities fraud because they are artificially propping up their revenues using uh, bots and not humans. And when you see some of those growth lines that are perfectly straight, humans don't move that way. Right? Yeah. It's really hard to believe that all of these companies can be growing at you know as high of a rate year after year, quarter after quarter for that long. Yeah. Right. So I think some of those things, as more and more people start looking into it, they'll discover, oh, that's been securities fraud for however many years it's been going on. So some of the most common ways that uh, fraud occurs, and, and you've already touched on them indirectly, but it's around creating false traffic so that you can then sell that false traffic. Uh, it's also false uh, clicks, which uh, you mentioned bots before. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some of the ways that uh, these fraudsters are actually fleecing the major marketers? Well, you know, this is related to a question I get asked often, who are the bad guys, right? So the, the quick answer is that there's not thousands and thousands of hackers. It, there doesn't need to be. There only needs to be a few hackers who can make the botnets that are maintained to generate this kind of uh, enormous amount of traffic and clicks. So there's only a few hackers that are even sophisticated enough to build those botnets. Um, and you've heard of the ones that are made out of mobile devices or malware on your computers and, they, and even IoT devices like your webcam or something. As long as those things have a processor in it and an internet connection, it could be hijacked to be used as a bot. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, the hackers basically make money by renting out their botnets to say, how much traffic do you want to your particular site? Or how much usage do you want on your particular app? So for the unscrupulous uh, you know, website publisher that you know, is just out there to you know, generate as much ad revenue as possible, not, not even to make real content, right? They'll just say, oh, I want you know, this much traffic. Because as long as the cost of the traffic is less than the revenues that they can make from selling digital ads, they're just arbitraging you know, a very handsome profit. Yep. So in, in that sense, there are a few hackers that maintain these vast botnets. And again, these botnets are similar to the DDoS ones, right? The ones that overwhelm a site with so much traffic that it goes down. Yep. But that wasn't lucrative, right? Because you can't make money from that. But now if you point that traffic fire hose to sites that have ad tech on it, you can make a ton of money through the ad revenue. Right? Yep. So that's what, what's going on. Right? And so you have traffic resellers that basically buy low and sell high. They're all arbors, right? They're all arbitragers that make yep. money. And then there are those sites that um, you know want traffic because no human's ever gonna go there, right? These are brand new sites. Human, they don't even have content on there. Humans never gonna discover it. So what do you do if you have no human audience? Right? You basically buy all the traffic, right? And in some cases I've seen uh, basically one bad guy is all three, right? So if they know how to make the botnets and they know how to put up the websites and they know how to stick the uh, ad tech on it, they can do all of that so they don't even have to pay anybody else to do it, right? So in that sense, it's basically, it's almost like a house of cards uh, built upon itself. And as long as the marketers are continuing to be willing to spend, because they're still going after reach and frequency. Oh, where else can I buy a billion impressions? Bad guys love it because it's like marketers are just handing them money. 
And it's interesting you should say that because I've had a number of conversations with regional CMOs who have said to me, how much should I be spending on digital media compared to non-digital? And I said, well, it depends on your strategy. What are you trying to do? And, and what they were attracted to was that they could get reach and frequency, which was such an old yes, measure. Yes, it's a TV kind of thing, Yeah, right? type TV. Yes. But the cost per thousand, another TV thing, yes. was incredibly low. Yes. Yeah, and this is why they were attracted to it because in their minds they were getting reach and frequency into you know millions of people at a very low CPM. Yeah, it's just it's, num- an, it's the wrong measure, isn't it? It is, and it's basically numbers on a piece of paper, right? Mm. Numbers on a spreadsheet. So it looks really, really good, and some of the marketers today are too young to realize those are not realistic. Right? Mm. So there's a couple things going on here. They're taking this old TV mentality of reach and frequency into digital. The reason it doesn't work in digital is because we no longer have the physical constraints of the physical world. What I mean by that is in TV marketing, there are only so many TV shows, right? And there are only so many ad slots in the TV shows, right? Well, there's a limited limited supply. Yeah, inventory, yeah. So, you know, when there's more demand, Basic laws of supply and demand means the prices go up. So think about the Super Bowl here in the U.S., right? There's a lot of marketers who want that, so prices go up. In digital, like I said before, there are no constraints in the physical world, right? So now there can be unlimited websites, unlimited ad inventory. And the way we can tell that from a macroeconomic perspective is that, you know, in the years, in the last 10 years or so, when we see massive dollars shifting into digital, you would have expected prices to go up, right? Because that's demand. However, what we have actually seen is that the supply went up even faster. So in essence, on average, over the last 10 years, CPM prices have gone down. So in the good old days, right, in mid nineties, right, when you had to pay Yahoo $35 CPMs, now you're able to get a lot of inventory for 30 cents yes. or you know $3 or something, one tenth or one one hundredth of what it was. And that's because the supply grew even faster than the demand. But ad tech people have said to me, but yes, um, supply is increasing exponentially. That, uh, you know, even though that the population's limited, the markets that are getting uh, smartphones, uh, the internet uh, access to uh, countries means that, all, you know, the globe is, you know, seven, eight billion people yes. is now increasingly online. And so, of course, usage curves are going to go. And to me, that's not even plausible anymore, right? They used to be able to say that in the early days of the internet. But if you look at the human population, first of all, and then the second would be the people who can afford smartphones because they have disposable income that they don't have to use to buy food to survive, right? And then in the markets that actually have internet connectivity and things like that. So the, the way I look at that is, again, I said before the Pew Internet Studies, uh, where they study in humans accessing the internet, mobile and social, they've been doing that for 20 plus years. And in recent years, all of those lines have plateaued. So the amount of humans uh, is, you know, using different digital things is not growing exponentially. In fact, it's plateaued, but yet the digital ad spending is continuing to skyrocket. So that's the disconnect that I'm talking about. Mm. So in my estimation, it's not humans, it's something else. And it's just generating all these ad impressions. But again, there are vested interests that want to see it continue because the venture capitalists and the investors who invest in these companies need to see those hockey stick uh, charts. Otherwise, they can't sustain these massive valuations. 
Of course. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, one of the things that I noticed yeah, um, when the internet sort of started around the mid-90s, it was interesting in the early part of this century, everyone was talking about commercialising the internet on a one-to-one -one basis, how good the internet was going to be at targeting and, and engaging with people and to be able to do that on, on scale. Except that somewhere around the global recession, around 2007, suddenly the talk was about mass audience delivery at low cost. It was less about engagement, and so it was about scale. And what I think was driving that was, to your point, people had put lots of money into things like Facebook and Google, and now they were wondering where the return was going to come. Yeah, and you had to see the uh, Facebook MAUs and DAUs continue to skyrocket. Yeah. So they can say, oh yeah, we've got 1.3 billion people accessing it on a daily basis. Okay, that was plausible for a while, but I don't think any longer. And so since in the years since, you've now seen more and more cases of mass purges of fake accounts. Yeah. Right? They now realize, oh, well, some of these were made by bots. These are not real. And in the, in the early days of rapid growth, no one wanted to look at those problems, right? Everyone wanted just to keep growing so they could keep making more money. Okay. And, and you mentioned the, the purges. Augustine. Uh, and I remember when Facebook dumped like 300 million users, yeah. as fake users, and yet revenues continued to go up. Correct. I mean, if a TV station or a newspaper announced that, uh, I think at the time it was around 20% of their customers, the audience, the audience yeah. had disappeared because they were fake, there'd be a backlash. But Correct. investment continued. Correct. Because no one wanted to look. So... The marketers don't want to look, the ad tech companies don't want to look. And I think it was somewhere in 27, 2018, over the span of about six months, Facebook purged 1.2 billion accounts. Right, which would have been almost, what, 50%? Yeah, it was a very large number, right? Because mm. I think at the time they were down to 2 point something billion daily active users, mm. whatever. So the, the numbers yeah, were huge just enorm loss. Yeah. enormous. But yet, no change to their business outcomes, and they didn't go back and restate all of their quarterly filings to reflect the all the fake accounts that were in those MAUs and DAU charts, right? So to me, that's why I mentioned securities fraud before. Like mm. Something's going on there that's not real, uh, that's been propped up artificially through fake accounts. But you know, the marketers are still willing to buy it because they want the reach and frequency. So imagine the role of a marketer uh, their job, and in fact, some of the incentive systems in the big companies are misaligned in the sense that they goal the marketer, right? They, the, the marketer is told, you have to spend it all by the end of the year. Otherwise, you're not going to get as much budget next year, right? So for the marketer, it's like they want to buy as much stuff as they can. And I was going to use the phrase, uh, the opiate of the marketers, right? Because when you have something where you can buy more and more of, and it costs you less and less, that's a drug that you can't wean yourself off of, right? So your agency keeps telling you, oh yeah, we can get you 10 billion more impressions next quarter and the cost is gonna be lower, what are you gonna do? You're gonna buy it, right? Cause you're gonna say, oh yeah, I increased reach and frequency. So then, um, you know, when you have done that for a few quarters, you're not gonna be able to stop because if you do stop, all of a sudden, you know, the quantity that you can buy is gonna be half or less of what you had bought. And you're certainly not going to go admit that to your boss and lose your job over it. 
Well, I had a, uh, a CMO say to me, she felt like she was sitting in the back seat of a car going very fast down the highway, driven by her advertising agency, and all the lights were turned off at yeah. night, so it was nothing but blackness. And whenever she said to the agency, what's happening, what's happening? They kept saying, we need to go faster. Yes. We need to put more money into digital. Yes. And yet everything she felt was that she was getting a less return. And I said to her, well, why, why don't you just you know, sort this out? And she goes, because how do I look? I've been on this ride with the agency for two or three years. For me to turn around now and confess that really I've been doing the wrong thing could mean my job. Yeah, so I hear that every day, uh, but the way I'm gonna put it is the CMOs need, they, they're gonna lose their job anyway. True. The reason for that is uh, when they get found out, they're gonna be the scapegoat for that. If they find out themselves now, and start taking actions to make it better, there might there will still be work for them to do by the time the CFO and the CEO come knocking. Mm. Okay, so it is kind of scary to say, you know, if I look, I might find something I don't want to see. But I, my advice to CMOs is that it's better if they look now themselves rather than after the CFO comes knocking. Because now there are enough examples of where the fraud detection technology companies are not catching the fraud. The media agencies were relying on those fraud detection reports to tell their clients, everything's fine, keep buying, right? Because they said, you know, we have to increase the speed, we have to increase the spend, all that kind of stuff. And the motivations are pretty laid bare now, right? The, mm -hmm. the agencies need more spend to run through their pipes so that they can make more money. Yeah. So it's, they're not out to help you do better business in digital marketing, right? So for the CMO, they need to have the courage to take that first step to wean themselves off of this drug addiction, right? And that's to first to admit that there is a problem and then start taking steps. Because then once they start taking a look, it's not like we're gonna solve the fraud overnight. It's not like we're gonna lop off 90% of the impressions. In fact, the way I work with marketers who actually choose to look is that let's take out the most egregious bad guys first, right? So there's gonna be domains that are 100% fraudulent. Mm -hmm. None of their traffic, none of the impressions are generated by humans, right? It's all uh, shown to bots. Same thing with apps, right? The flashlight app, the keyboard app, all of those are generating billions of impressions and they're loading it every hour of every day, you know, even in the overnight hours. Some of those things, when you look at the data, you'll see it's obviously fraud. You can start cleaning that up. So imagine if you take out the top five, take out the top 10 that are the most egregious offenders, you're gonna now start to clean your campaigns. Mm -hmm. And then over time, you're gonna make your campaigns cleaner and cleaner. So if the CMO is the one that initiates that process, they're gonna be the heroes instead of the scapegoat. It's interesting, um, just the way you laid that out then, because what I hear in the industry is a lot of finger pointing towards the agencies. And you've just said the agencies, yeah, you know, they'll do the right thing if they're told to do the right thing. But in actual fact, the financial model goes against them doing Correct. the right thing because they're not getting paid for their services. They're getting paid for the amount of volume that they put yes. through. So I'll say something kind of controversial. Uh, the marketers need to take more responsibility and they need to pay their agencies better. That being said, it's not paying the agencies for doing some of this programmatic stuff because the programmatic stuff should be automated. 
you need to pay your agency for their expertise if they have the expertise. Mm. What a lot of the, you know, so in the Ad Age article recently, um, the title was I indict the holding companies. So yes, I do indict the holding companies. The reason for that is it's the holding companies and the management of the holding companies where they, you know, they're trying to make as much money as possible so that they can show the holding company stock price go up quarter after quarter, mm. right? So it's the decisions at the holding company management level uh, that are mis that are misaligning uh, what the media agency is doing for the clients. Yeah. I don't indict any of the people who work at the agencies because they are simply doing their job and they're doing what they're told. In fact, there have been many stories over the years where when some someone who works at a media agency sees something really strange, they can see the fraud and they say, oh, we got to tell the client about this. They are told to be quiet. Mm. Otherwise, you know, and their job is at stake. So basically, they have to be quiet. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I, you know, I wrote an article for The Drum which said there's actually two levels of truth here. There's a sort of institutional truth, which is the one that's taking the hammering because it is the holding companies who are answering to their shareholders, not the clients. Whereas you get to a certain level in the hierarchy, the more someone has direct face-to-face -face interaction with the client, the greater the level of trust and truth yeah. because that's the fundamental point of performance, isn't it? Yeah, and, and they're in the trenches every day. Uh, they actually see the data and they can tell something's wrong. Mm. But if they say something, then that's a threat to the revenue streams of the holding company, right, of their company. So they're told to not say anything. But how accountable are the ad tech companies as well? Because, you know, we know that in the digital supply chain, there is a number of players involved. Um, and they must be also incentivized to have as much traffic and Correct. as much volume going through. So to put it uh, simply, they have no incentive to actually solve the fraud. They really don't even have an incentive to look, right? So the way it's happening is even though they have, um, you know, security teams and anti-fraud teams and all that kind of stuff, they're just looking, you know, casually. But until a third party brings them incontrovertible data that says this is fraud, they're not going to really do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Why do anything if no one's even asking about it, right? So in this case, we've seen many, many cases of this, right? So Craig Silverman, uh, investigative reporter who writes for BuzzFeed, um, you know, he's outed some of these very, very large uh, ad fraud schemes, right? So it could be a public Chinese company that's using keyboard apps to, um, to commit ad fraud. Again, all of this is happening in broad daylight. But until someone calls it out, and it's even someone outside our industry, right? It's an mm. investigative reporter who actually did the work and found out who was doing this and then called it out. And then when the data was presented to the ad exchanges and ad networks, they had to kick it out, right? They couldn't, they couldn't justify continuing to let it go, so they kicked them out, yeah. right? But why didn't they kick them out sooner? Mm. It was pretty evident, right? Some, some of this data doesn't look right. You know, when you have a website that started a month ago and all of a sudden it's selling, you know, a billion impressions a day, something's wrong with that. Common yeah. sense will tell you if you chose to look at the data. Okay, so the other uh, excuse that you often hear is that there is so much data, right, that the systems, the platforms produce so much information. And in fact, um, one of the complaints from a lot of media agencies is that there's a requirement from their marketing clients to produce 
you know, all these reports, but what the reports largely are, are a dump of that data in a PDF. Yeah, yeah it's completely and utterly useless. It is, isn't it? And, and all of that data is irrelevant because, um, you know, if you have certain types of analytics, so it gets back to knowing where to look and what to look for. So I'll use a simple example just from Google Analytics. If you see that traffic coming from a particular source has either 100% bounce rate or 0% bounce rate, common sense should tell you something is wrong with that. So if you have a day's worth of data, if you have a week's worth of data, okay, so say you're super conservative and you have and you wait for a month's worth of data, and that traffic source continues to exhibit abnormal behavior, like it's 100% bounce rate or it's 0% bounce rate, then turn off that source. That's all you have to do. Mm. So people either are, you know, they're saying using it as an excuse, like, oh, I'm afraid of all this data, right? We couldn't possibly ingest these petabytes of data per day. Completely irrelevant, completely useless. You're not gonna be able to find anything from that big pile of crap, right? If you just looked at your analytics and used some basic common sense, uh, you'd be able to pick out the fraud. Hmm. The problem is most brand marketers don't do that. They said, oh, well, my agency's supposed to do that. The agency person is works so hard because they're trying to get all these campaigns launched and all that kind of stuff. They don't do that. So then they say, oh, well, we have fraud detection companies measure it for us. And all of those companies say everything's fine. It's low fraud, continue to buy. So who's going to go make the effort to look further and do more work when no one's complaining about it? Right. And so the cycle continues. So have you heard of the uh, saying, and it's one of my favorites, the golden rule? Okay, the golden rule states that the man with the gold makes the rules. So I would naturally say that the marketers ultimately are the people that should be making the rules about how digital marketing, the digital supply chain, uh, changes. But it doesn't seem to be happening. I mean, we've seen, you know, ISBAR in the UK, the ANA here, have all said that that needs to be cleaned up. But I'm not hearing a lot of conversations around the specific things that we need to do to make it uh, change. And in fact, if anything, I'm, I'm seeing sort of optimistic uh, reports about how it's much cleaner than it was, but yeah. clearly not. So I think it also gets back to a fear of the unknown. So they don't know what they don't know and they don't know what to do. So therefore they'd rather perpetuate the current storyline. But my advice to CMOs and marketers is very simple. Take a look and um, use common sense. In neither of those two points did I say use more technology mm. because ad fraud is not a technology problem. It's an incentives problem. So, you know, the big marketers, again, like I said before, the marketers are, uh, they need to spend it all. So if I tell them there's all this fraud over here, there's less stuff for them to buy, they can't spend it all. Mm -hmm. So then they're not doing their jobs. So, so again, misaligned incentives and things like that. And then I would also say that the trade associations, for example, the ANA, they literally don't know what they don't know because they're relying on reports from fraud detection companies that... Uh, like I said before, are only looking for IBT, mm. invalid traffic. They're only looking for bots. So the problem with a lot of fraud detection is they don't know what they're missing because they don't even know what uh, the bad guys are doing, right? 
So I kind of, you borrow a, a, a page from cybersecurity. You've heard of the term zero days, mm -hmm. right? Zero days means it's the first day that you discovered a particular exploit or a particular piece of malware. It's not that that malware just got there, right? The malware's been there. It's the first there. time you've detected it's, it. It's really the first time you've detected it, yeah. but it's been there all along. So same thing with fraud. Uh, the good guys don't know what, they, what they're missing, right? So uh, the problem is that we it's very hard to say this is the amount of fraud because you're actually, you don't know how much fraud you're not accounting for. Mm. So what I've done in, in recent uh, quarters is actually write about what I can measure. What, what I can confirm. So it's very different than saying how much bots or fraud there is. It's more like, okay, I can actually confirm that there's 2% humans that actually saw your ad. I can confirm that viewability is this. I can, you know, so it's really kind of like the opposite of it. Because just like in the blacklisting and whitelisting uh, methodology, when you, when you blacklist a thousand sites, the bad guys will have another thousand or maybe even 10,000 other mm -hmm. sites, right? So if you try to use the blacklisting methodology, there's a vast ocean of other stuff that you can never keep up with. Whereas if you use the whitelisting methodology and you know these are good publishers and these are publishers that have human audiences go to their websites, that's a much more finite thing. So similarly in fraud detection, it's really hard to know if your fraud number is complete or not. Right. That's been my point for a very long time. Because they can just reinvent themselves yeah, in any number of ways. Yeah, there's new forms of fraud that you yeah. haven't even accounted for. Right? Well, every time you close down one, as you say, yeah. 10 or 1,000 more So again, they call it the whack-a-mole thing, yeah. right? You, you whack it over here, they come up over here. So it's a never-ending game. So if, if you allow it to become a tech arms race, mm. the bad guys will always be ahead. They will always have better tech. And also, if you think about the standards in digital media, right? So MRC, that's great, uh, Media Ratings Council, they create standards. But the, the potential negative effect of the standards is that these are goalposts mm. that the bad guys can shoot for. So say, for example, the viewability one, right? 50% of the pixels in view for one second. The bad guys know exactly where the goalposts are so they can tune their bots to hit exactly that so that they can have 100% viewability all the time. So the bad guys have goalposts, whereas the good guys don't, right? Because in, in, for the good guys, it's like, what kind of fraud are the bad guys doing? I don't even know ahead of time, right? So that's why it's asymmetric warfare, and that's why the bad guys always have the advantage. Mm. So for the good guys, uh, it's better to assume that there's something you're missing, mm. as opposed to assuming, oh yeah, everything's done, you know, everything's low, fraud is solved, Right, and that's the message from the AMA, and that's the exact opposite to what marketers need to be thinking about. Right, mm -hmm. so instead of uh, fraud at its lowest point, uh, fraud is, is at its highest point, and the marketers need to be the most vigilant ever, not the least. Well, because I read a report just recently that with the uh, GDPR crackdown on data, uh, a lot of fraud is actually moving away from Europe or Europe-centric into uh, other markets, is that true? Here, here's why it's not true. Who do you think gives consent? Humans the bot. or bots? Right? <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, it's actually the bots, right? Okay. Because the, the job of the bot is to get the ad to load, mm. right? They want more ad impressions, yeah. right? So the bot gives consent so that more ads can be served to them. How many humans, maybe think about yourself, I haven't given consent, right? How many other humans you know have actually given consent mm. to an ad tech company to serve more ads to them? So in this case, because the bots have given consent, 
there's actually even more fraud because now when you're advertising to those markets, um, if you're actually doing it correctly and say, oh, we only want to advertise to the users that have given consent, you're now disproportionately marketing to bots right. rather than humans, even though those bots are not caught or detected by the fraud detection companies. So you've just told me two counterintuitive things to the way that I've been thinking. The first was around setting uh, standards because, you know, the struggle that the IAB have had, and I've been saying, why can't you get a standard? Well, in some ways, setting a standard just actually helps the fraudsters, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, so it's not to say standards are bad. We need standards, otherwise it's the Wild West. However, standards alone are not going to do anything to solve fraud, right? That's a, that's a common misconception. Oh, yeah, we have standards, so fraud solved. But if you think about the viewability thing, again, um, bad guys have higher viewability than good publishers mm. because they're tricking the viewability measurement, right? They're, they know exactly how to make the bot uh, trick the viewability measurement so it comes out to be 100% viewable. Whereas for a good publisher, if you just think about the layout of a page, and you have three ads on the page, at the top, at the right, at the bottom. You're using an oversimplistic example. That's already 66% viewability mm. from the start, right? Because two are above and one's below. So for the good publisher, 66% viewability is not bad. But now, if you notice, over the years, Group M and these agencies will say, oh yeah, we're gonna insist on 100% viewability. What do you think that's gonna that's gonna do? It's actually exposing the marketer to more fraud because yeah. the only people that can have hundred percent viewability all the time are the bad guys. Yeah. So in though in that case, that's an example of where um, the agency makes themselves look like they're really good. Oh yeah, we're gonna insist on hundred percent viewability. But in fact, they've actually exposed their client to more fraud, not less. Okay, so is one of the ways of overcoming this the focus on performance? Because certainly the marketers that are doing performance marketing, where they're looking and monitoring every impression to see not just click-through rates, but actually uh, leads and applications, for instance, or purchase. Um, bots can't per purchase things or fill in forms, can they? They can. They can. And they oh. do. And they, again, goes back to, they will do exactly the thing that you're willing to pay for. So let me take an example from mobile. Um, so some of the big advertisers, for example, Uber, uh, they, in their uh, desire to grow as fast as possible, they went out and paid all these mobile networks to say, get us as many app installs as possible, thinking that it was humans installing their app. So what do you think those fraudulent mobile app networks did? They basically tricked the attribution systems to say, oh yeah, we caused this many app that installs. Those are all fake. So now what's being revealed in the Uber lawsuit is that uh, they're going after the ad exchange, the mobile exchanges to say, you guys falsified the records. These were not humans. And in fact, the app wasn't even installed. All they did was trick the attribution platform to make it look like the install happened. Mm. So again, you know, think about bad guys. They will do the exact thing that you're willing to pay for. And in the case of Uber, they say, oh yeah, we're a performance marketer. We don't even pay for the impressions. We don't pay for the clicks. We only pay when the app got installed. So the bad guys go out and make it look like the app got installed. Mm. They got paid. Yeah. Right now, once the money's gone, Uber has to sue to try to get the money back. So again, it's not about doing away with performance, right? So performance 
uh, has to mean business outcomes, right? Actual sales in the offline world or something like that, right? Not these fakeable metrics like clicks, uh, engagement, all these kind of things. And just be or aware- Or even app downloads. Or even app downloads. But just to complete the, the circle here, when you talked about sales, the bad guys are actually faking the sale. There's a, there's a loophole in the attribution systems where if you construct a URL, carefully construct a URL with all the right parameters, you can actually make it look like a sale occurred when the sale didn't occur, right? Yeah. And get paid the affiliate revenue share. And unless and until the market actually does reconciliation, because e-commerce systems are different from marketing systems, mm-hmm. and unless they do a very regular nightly uh, reconciliation, they won't even know they got ripped off. So the problem with a lot of this is, you know, a lot of performance marketers that I talk to, they assume they are immune from fraud. They are not. The only thing they need to do is don't assume that they're immune from fraud and actually look at the data and see if the, the marketing actually drove real business outcomes. So I guess just to summarize, um, what I've got out of this is first of all, always be curious and wary, always be questioning, okay? Secondly, uh, look at your data with common sense and logic and see if there's things that just don't make sense. Correct. So the next step, if they believe, if there's a marketer that has done those two things, has got them to the point that they think there's a problem, how can you help them? So the way I help marketers is kind of think about it as performing an audit. Uh, Basically an extra pair of eyes to take a look at their campaigns. Because I think a lot of these marketers, they've been told that everything is fine, but their gut tells them, okay, something's still strange. It just doesn't add up for me, right? So what I do is I have technology. Uh, It's a tag, kind of a JavaScript tag. So any marketer that does digital display ads or whatever, they can copy and paste the tag into their campaigns. And what we do is we measure the ad impressions. And what I'm looking for um, would be, you know, the fraudulent things that are not caught by current detection. So it kind of goes back to our earlier part of the conversation where the difference between detection technology uh, and what I do is we have tech, but we also have a methodology for looking at the data. So it's really to show the clients uh, if there's a problem. Now, in some cases, when the marketer is very, very vigilant themselves and they're looking at the data already and they have very strict whitelists, for example, there, there may be very, very little additional fraud. Mm-hmm. It might actually be very clean and they're already doing okay. And we'd like to know that too. Right? Yep. But bottom line is for some of the marketers, if they have been kind of handing their dollars and budgets to their media agencies in the past, they should probably not assume that it's gonna be okay. Right? Even if all the fraud detection reports make it look like it's okay, it's yeah. worth another look. So yeah. that's kind of how I help the marketers. It's extra pair of eyes. Look, uh, Augustine, this is a, a terrific conversation. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I just, um, I'm sitting here going, gee, if there's so much money in this, you're, you've been a terrific gamekeeper. Have you ever thought about becoming a poacher? Mm-hmm.